Hey, this is episode 24 of the Coffee Code Cast. This is your host, Mike Sheehan, with uh, my co-host Kyle here. What's up, Kyle? What's going on? I'm here in uh, Denver. You're in Seattle, so it's a little bit of a different uh, dynamic today. Yeah, we're, we're uh, doing our first remote cast, so with the new equipment, so that's kind of fun. Try something new. Mike's running the board solo, so sorry about all the sound effects. Hey, I did, this, I did the board pretty good last time. <laughs> Speak for yourself, brother. How's it going out there in um, snowy Denver? It's cold. Well, you were just here. You know, you know what it was like. But uh, I think every day that I've been here so far, at least one time a day, it's snowed. So even today, a little bit, huh? Uh, I think this, there was a flurry this morning, but uh, this afternoon the sun came out and it was it was pretty decent. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, doing pretty good. I, I was out in Denver for the weekend, uh, you know, helping my mom get her house ready for sale. And so did a lot of project work. And uh, Friday was great. It was in the 70s on Friday. Well, 60s, 70s pushing it. It was in the 60s on Friday. And then um, <laughs> we were freezing our asses off the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, I think we missed the real good temperatures by a few hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. So you're coming back tomorrow? I will be back in Seattle late tomorrow, yeah. Oh, boy. Per our discussion last week about uh, mileage programs, I got myself a first-class seat back to Seattle, so that's good. Oh, man. I'm envious. I had um, I had an upgrade on the way out, but I was with my brother, so I, I felt really bad because they gave me a <laughs> – they came back. We were sitting in the exit row, 16, uh, what, ENF. And, um, the guy came back with a boarding pass for me and he was like, Hey, would you like to move up front 2d? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I'm with somebody here. Like, do you have two seats open? He's like, no, it's just for you. <laughs> I said, I can't, I'd be a pretty big dick if I took that by myself. It's funny. You had that experience. Cause we had the exact same thing where I, I think I booked the tickets individually because one was booked through work and one was booked through my personal account. And so they upgraded mine because Mine was uh, the one with the gold medallion status or whatever you want to say. And so that would have left me in first class and Christina in Comfort Plus. So we just went ahead and upgraded her ticket as well with points. Oh, nice. That's good. But yeah, it was the same situation. They wouldn't bring her up as well. Yeah, I think they do if they can. I mean, um, I took that trip to Sacramento with Allie and we both got bumped up. But it really just depends on the availability. And then if it's really tight, then they're just going to go with status. So seniority first, I guess. Right. And if you're one of the members of the, the, the party is, is a status member or a status holder, they will upgrade all members of the party, in, uh, all members of the party. But uh, you're at a lower priority than single people. Right, right, right. Yeah. All the little nuances of mileage plus flying for sure. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of little little rules and gotchas for sure. That's cool, man. Well, yeah. I hope you have a good flight back. Yeah, uh, it was kind of nice today, sunny and cool, but not bad compared to Denver, that's for sure. Excited to be back. I've been out here for almost a week. Yeah, I was reflecting on that too because we did the cast a week ago, and right after this I went home and packed, and I flew out Thursday morning, so it's been about a week for me as well. Right. Yeah, I was just watching TV earlier today, and I was. It made me think of you because they were going, Mike, 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 Mike. You know what day it is, Mike? 
Wait, what is that? I saw that shit. Some commercial. <laughs> it's what a Geico commercial. I don't know. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a Geico thing, dude. I saw that shit. Hope day. <laughs> nice, dude. <laughs> oh, I hope. Um, I'm just gonna put this out there. I hope there's no reverb with this setup because sometimes I've had problems where like the computer is an input and an output and it reverbs, but you think we're okay on the YouTube? I, I mean, we were set up that way last week too, right? So I think we're good. I think so. I just don't know. I'm thinking back to like some of those teams meetings that I've had where people said there's an echo, but I don't hear one. So I'm going to assume yeah. that we've got it working properly. I think we're good. Well, in that case, KJ, I think it's time for me to crack open an ice cold Coors light. How about you? Crack one open. Oh, yeah. There it is. One for you, too, man. That never gets old. <laughs> I'm sure it'll never get old. <laughs> uh, one quick thing I wanted to say. Apologies for uh, last week um, in the feed, if you're a podcast subscriber, which most of you would be. Um, we moved hosts recently from uh, kind of a syndicated feed to... A feed that is, um, oh, what's going on in the old chat here? Slackpot. I don't see anything here. Uh, nothing new, anyway. Who the hell is KJ? KJ, Karen Johnson. Karen, oh, hey, here. that's your mom, man. How about that? Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. In the podcast feed, we had a small issue with uh, duplicate episodes showing up. And that was partially because we switched providers and I'm not really sure why it occurred, but going forward, we shouldn't have duplicate episodes in the feed any, anymore. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I didn't catch that. I, I know that it took a little while for Spotify to upgrade, but you got that fixed. So that was the only yeah, issue that, was that just I had. a feed problem and I was able to work that out with the Spotify folks. So I think all the feeds, well, with the exception of SoundCloud, I don't think we're publishing to there anymore. Um, cause okay. it's not automatic like it was before, but everything else should be, uh, buttoned up. That's cool. Awesome, dude. Well, I go ahead. I've, I've got a topic I want to talk about. I don't know if it's time to jump into that yet, but I had something that I thought would be fun to, to discuss. I don't think we've done it on the cast yet. Fire away. Um, yeah, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about it. It's just relevant. It's topical because I've had a few interviews at the office lately. Did we talk about this before? We talked about interview, interview um, formats and that sort of thing. I mean, I really we like have, what we're doing now with the interviews here. We may have talked about it briefly, kind of a, that, that the, the process is weird and sucks, but <laughs> let's, uh, let's go into detail on what you're thinking. Yeah. I want to talk about it a little bit just because, you know, like there's a lot of, it's a philosophical debate with developers all the time. You've got, you've got, um, the old school kind of, uh, oh, um, what am I trying to say? The cracking the code, uh, code interview, blah, cracking the coding interview yeah. um, with our good friend, uh, Gail. Gail Lackman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like that's historically been the way that a lot of the companies run their interview processes. Like you're very CS heavy, very like into data structures, algorithms and whiteboarding problems and. And that's that's kind of like what you have to do, even though that's not the day to day. That's something that's very um, it's a litmus test for the for a lot of these companies as to your your capabilities as a developer. Right. They're looking for kind of the the real uh, computer science questions. Right. The things that you learn in school. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
And so uh, that that's one camp, and that's been a pretty popular thing and fairly standard across many tech companies out in Northwest and in and, and, and other places. But uh, we used to do some whiteboarding ourselves. I mean, we had maybe it wasn't as stringent as that uh, here at our company, but we've recently redone our interview process. We're bringing on, what, about a half a dozen people, developers mostly in some other slots. And so we've you, you kind of led that charge. I think you and a group of people kind of came up with a new development uh, interview process. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big believer in the algorithmic questions unless they're kind of relevant to what it is that you're doing day to day, like you mentioned. Uh, in our case, we don't really write a lot of algorithms. Um, so we kind of went towards a format that was more what you would do in a daily day of work. Exactly. So one way we changed it up is instead of just bringing them in kind of blind and, and throwing them on the whiteboard, uh, before we even have the phone screen, we kind of do a, a coding exercise. And for us, with our workload and the type of things that we deal with, a lot of that has to do with API development and middle tier backend kind of stuff. And so we kind of, the exercise is to build, um, you know, we have kind of a, a little MVP app kind of thing that we don't want you to spend more than a couple hours on one or two hours on, but it's really about uh, middle tier to back end API development. And it gives us a talking point at least like for the interview. So if like that project goes well, we'll do a phone, do a phone screen first. If we feel good about that, then we'll send the coding exercise. And if that looks pretty good and thought out, then we bring you in for an interview. And I think the coding exercise, that's another thing that I really appreciate about the process so far. So I think we tell them to allocate, what, two hours maybe, something like that? Yeah, not much more than, I think I think it said something in the ballpark of one to a few or something, but not, you know, the idea is to be concise, not to labor over it all, all day long. Exactly, and not, not to waste the, the, the people's time and our time both, right? Because I've definitely been in interviews where you'll spend, they want you to spend, you know, six to eight hours building some complex project or, you know, figuring out some complex problem. And I didn't really want that at all in our kind of interview process. Well, and it's been good too, because you get a real good sense of where, where they're at skill-wise through the exercise. And there's a lot of things that you can pick out of a simple example, even just doing a basic API with a few endpoints. You can, you can get a lot out of that that tells you about how they are. And some of these guys are doing unit tests, some of these guys, you know, and they can pick their own stack. So you're getting stuff in Node or getting stuff done in .NET Core or whatever they want to do. Um, but there's a lot of detail in there or a lack of detail that can inform you on their level of expertise. And it doesn't require um, some of that, you know, data structure and algorithm whiteboarding challenge. Right. I, th I think that's an important piece of it, too, is, is that you hit on there, is, is that it's language agnostic. We don't really care what you write it in as long as it follows kind of good uh, programmatic techniques and you give us good uh, directions on how to run it because we're not, you know, we may not, we, we may not develop in Python, let's say, but as long as you can tell us how to run it and we can look through the code and make sense of it, then we don't really care what you write it in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's pretty common across the industry. I think a lot of the interviews, even if they are data structure, that old model, if you do well at that, they don't really care what language it's in either. So I, I like that idea. I don't, you know, I think that's kind of a red flag if you go into a place and like, hey, we need to have this uh, implemented in, in Java. 
you know, and if you can't do it in Java, then we just don't want to talk to you because I think anymore, like you, you're exposed to so many different technologies that, uh, if you understand the concepts, like jumping from one language to the other, shouldn't be that big of a deal. It's pretty trivial. It's been really informing for me too. I don't really write a lot of node, but a lot of the responses to the, to the question or the API have been written in node. So it's been really fascinating to, to read, through some of the code and see just how easy it is to implement APIs through Node. Um, I've only written some real basic applications that do kind of some real basic operations, but this has been really fascinating and informing on just how powerful Node is and how quickly you can stand something up that's actually pretty sophisticated. Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. We've had quite a few coming in with Node. We had one today that was .NET Core. And even with that, uh, all of these applications have been really easy to stand up. So it's a command line thing couple couple commands and you've got the code cloned from git and a couple more commands and you got the thing running on its own web server so just in general i like uh, how easy it is like back in the day this would be a long process where you might spend a day just trying to get your environment set up to to build this uh, particular code set right right so, so yeah i think it, in addition to you know it's being helpful to to get good candidates it's, it's been amazing how many we've weeded out really, really quickly just based on this particular piece, right? And saved, because we have, I think, a panel of anywhere from what, three to four, maybe five sometimes interviews in a panel. We do. And it's really funny because, um, I mean, we're still refining our own process. And I think from where it was a year or two ago to where it is today, great improvement, but it's all over the place. So I've been in some where we've had just a couple people. And then today, was one of those days where everything worked out for everyone. And so we had like somebody on, like, you know, Bruce was on from Denver and um, we had, gosh, we had like six or seven people in the room here. So like the dude came in, I think he was just like, holy shit, man, who am I talking to? (laughs) Is this your whole tech team? And so we said, no, no, no. It's just like, sometimes we get more people that are able to join and And it was more interactive that way, which was good. And I think that's a new piece of the interview process that we've had to work around, too, is now we have technically three different offices for Quote Wizard. So we have to bring them on remotely through, you know, telecommunications or teleconferencing, which is a new piece of it as well. But it seems to be working OK. I would say so. I think so far so good. And well, that's another thing that's that's helpful. Just having the exercise ahead of time is that we we all have a chance to review it. The email goes out days in advance of the interview and the onsite, And so you know, by the time we get everyone on on the conference call, um, we all have kind of a general sense of what's going on, uh, of what this person uh, was able to produce and, and have some questions to ask to get to understand a little better. So I think it helps distributed, uh, you know, offices that way too. It's good, I think, that you came with that and, and kind of mentioned that because the original intent of the exercise when we kind of con- concepted it was uh, – that number one, yeah, we wanted to evaluate the skills that they had in creating the API, but then number two, create like a jump off point to either ask subsequent questions or even build off of it and maybe throw a UI question their way or something like that, that would make them have to work even further down kind of the typical dev path that we use day to day. Yep. Yeah. It's a good conversation starter. Usually what I try to do is get a little background info, have them talk about where they're at, what they're doing, what they want to do next. But once we get into the exercise, there's just a lot of different ways you can go with it. And, I mean, we could have spent an hour just talking about ways to improve the on the uh, example. And so I, I find now that there's 
more content than there is time usually like during the interview, which wow. I think before, you know, we had our canned responses that we would ask and, and if it was going really awkwardly, it didn't go very far. And if it went well, it, whatever, we just didn't have a whole lot to talk about outside of that. So it sounds like much more of a discussion than a kind of a one way conversation maybe. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that, um, I still think that you get to, um, this, a similar conclusion, right? Like, I don't think, um, for one thing, we're not developing the type of work that we're doing doesn't require something that's that technical. Um, not to discount data structures and algorithms, but I, I think that the type of work that we're doing, like this is a way more practical example to measure someone's abilities than, than that would be. Like we're not, we're not looking for that uh, cutting edge stuff. Like we're using technologies that are already out there that people are creating that way, right? Right, yep. Another interesting problem that we ran into, and I think this is not a uncommon problem in the interviewing world, but because we do a take-home test, within probably four or five interviews, we had, I don't know how many different versions of our take-home test were up on GitHub, you know, by a simple search. Yeah, I was worried about that. So uh, now I think what they're doing, it seems like, is they're kind of giving them silly names uh, for the people to use when they, if they post them up there, so that way they're not easily found, at least, but... That's what happened today, too. Yeah, it was really clever naming anything without Quote Wizard in it. Because right. we were talking about that. I was like, let's do a quick search on Quote Wizard and see what comes up. And sure enough, you find a few things in there. Yeah. But yeah. that's good. That's great to hear that things are things are going well. We've hired, uh, what have we hired, like three people already or something like that? So maybe it so. Seems to be working. I know two confirmed and maybe a third. So, yeah. And they, Well, they had one in Denver here, so... Uh, and I think there's a couple in Seattle that maybe are confirms or at least one that's a confirm. So there's, yep. it's definitely working. We're getting people through the pipeline. We're getting kind of good unanimous agreement amongst the dev team, uh, as to skill set and fit and everything. So I think it seems to be working well. Well, maybe this is a trend that's uh, starting to change. Maybe this is something new that's starting to spread out because the gentleman that we talked to today, um, you know, a lot, he did a good job. He did a good job with the, with the example and without giving anything away there. Um, you know, a couple of times he just commented, well, if I had more time, I would do this. If I had more time, I would do that. And one of the things he said, I thought was interesting was that, that he goes, look, you know, I'm doing a few of these other things. And so like, you're not the only ones asking for a, a code example. He goes, several other one, um, companies he's talked to has been a very similar format where it's like, Hey, we need to do this coding exercise. And that's kind of a new, that surprised me a little bit because I haven't interviewed in five years, but the last time I interviewed, like that was never um, really an option, the coding exercise. It was very much the old school, like get on the whiteboard and show me how to write this function. Oh, that's interesting because I've, I've, I've interviewed, I guess, in between the time that you started at Quote Wizard. Um, so I've definitely run into coding exercises for pretty much any of the last several jobs that I've applied to. So I think that's pretty common. Wow. It's a pretty easy way to screen folks out, right? And it works pretty effectively. We've screened out a lot of folks that way. So, Well, there's no hiding behind it, right? I know that you're giving someone time to go and Google stuff, but it's kind of like um, open book tests. Like if you don't know the material, um, the book doesn't really help you much. Like you're, you're going to struggle to find shit and, and it's just not going to go your way. So you really have to know what you're doing even in a 
in an environment where we say, hey, go spend a few hours on this code. If you haven't done an API before, like you're not going to figure it out in a couple hours. And if you do, it's going to be pretty ugly probably. <laughs> and I'm all for it. Google, Google all you want. That's part of, that's the engineer's cookbook right there. So like, that's what you're going to use anyway in your day-to-day. So fine, go, use, use the same resources that you're going to use as a day-to-day engineer. That's fine with me. So um, you, you could find an example of an API out there, but you know what? It still takes somebody that knows how to, set it up, make it work in whatever framework or technology they're using. There's like still nuances that you still need to know even beyond finding somebody else's source and yes, utilizing it in some way. Yeah, exactly. There's a baseline that you have to have, a baseline knowledge that if it isn't there, it doesn't matter what you're looking at. It's just not going to make sense. Yeah. Right on, man. And I think the other thing too that we're looking for here, and I would say this is, Another facet that's maybe even more important is that you want to find somebody who's hungry, somebody who's excited about it. I mean, how many times have we had interviews with guys that are really smart, really know their stuff, but are just a-holes, man? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you couldn't work with them if you had to because, like, they're so stubborn or opinionated. I think that... Um, the type of uh, environment that works well is like someone who's really hungry and excited and passionate. And if they don't have a few skill sets here and there, that passion will, um, is more important. It'll carry through. Right. I think, I think we have a lot of the people that are, you know, for lack of lack of a better word, that they're the, they're the kind of tenured people that you might assume to be the people stuck in their ways or, you know, have heavy opinions, which is good. You need that as well. But the people that we're looking for in this case, I think are more the, the people that are uh, willing, yeah, like you said, uh, excited to do work, excited to learn, eager to to get their hands on anything they can do, and that's the type of thing that we're looking for. Absolutely, man. Love that. Well, let's move on a little bit here, shall we? I have a topic as well that I'd like to talk about. Well, and that is, let's do uh, it, man. Bring it up. Yeah, I'm bringing it up. Uh, I'm going to start on a new fitness routine. Slash oh diet plan slash changing the whole damn world. Oh shit, dude. <laughs> so, you know, Bowley was on the, what, two, two episodes ago and, and was kind of espousing that you shouldn't make wholesale changes all at once. He's not a big resolution guy like that. Like, uh, Oh, starting January one, I'm just going to be clean living and, uh, going vegan and I'm going to work out five days a week. And, and what else does Bowley say? Um, something about the wacky weed. I wish I could have him. Is he around here? Hey, Bully. What was that you said there, buddy? They're going to find out I smoked the wacky weed. Oh, my there God. Is, yeah. Would you calm down, buddy? <laughs> have a beer. So, yeah. So I'm going to start a new fitness program. I'm going to probably join the CrossFit gym that you're currently or actively in. Hey, all right. I'm not very active in it right now, but I'm happy oh, you're well, coming. Maybe I can help you with that. Maybe we can go take CrossFit classes together. I'm an active donor of the CrossFit gym. Accountability. There you go. A donor. I like it. Yeah. 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 Well, so a couple things. Number one, I don't want to make this permanent. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be doing CrossFit forever. That's not any kind of goal that I have. Sure. So what I want it to be is kind of a jump start back into health and fitness. So I, w- I haven't weighed myself in a while, but I would guarantee you I'm probably the heaviest I've been. I don't know. In a couple of years, three years, four years, something like that. Okay. Well, probably even longer than that. 
But anyway, so I want to get that taken care of, knock a few pounds off. Uh, but in the meantime, also rebuild some strength because, I, you know, as you get older, you lose muscle mass. And I'm pretty bad about doing any kind of weight training. So I think this would kind of accommodate all of those things in one fell swoop. So um, that's the plan from the kind of fitness and exercise side of it. Um, in addition to that, I think what we're going to do, actually, I know what we're going to do is Christina, Dana, and I, which is the people that I live with, are all going to do uh, a whole 30. So that'll be in conjunction with this new fitness routine. So in theory, we're eating the things that CrossFit actually recommends you eat, but we've done this before as well. I thought um, you had. And, We've talked about this it's, before. It's pretty effective all on its own. So in theory, I think this should work pretty well, assuming I can stick to it. Um, kind of flying in the face of bullies, don't make wholesale changes all at once. I'm pretty much changing everything all at once. Well, so, I, we'll see it, how it goes. I, the biggest thing that I think I need to put into place is, uh, number one, a schedule, and number two, a whole lot of planning ahead of time because what will happen is we'll get to a point where I'll be you know, late home or something like that or have a stressful day at work or whatever the case may be, and then instead of – eating a whole 30 meal that I created myself, I'll just be like, ah, fuck it. Let's go get barbecue or let's go somewhere, you know, get pizza, whatever the case might be. Mm, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would have to agree with you on this. I mean, I think there's some things that are just worth, worth changing wholesale. Um, I'm not always good at this either in the long term, but I think it's nice sometimes to hit reset. So even if it's not, meant to be a lifestyle change that's permanent, even having a month or two or three where you just hit reset and do it all over again is um, can be transformative and can be effective. And that's the plan. And then one other piece that we're going to put in conjunction with this, and we've done this a number of times, and that is that we're going to do a no-spend month. And what that means Basically is, I mean, you still spend money, but the, the main thing is you're not spending money on frivolous things, you know, going out, drinking, eating out, going to shows, movies, whatever the case might be. You're basically just paying only your bills that you have to pay on a regular basis and, and, and the food that you have to buy to make your meals. But that's basically it. So that'll prevent me from hopefully uh, going outside the bounds of the Whole30 program as well. Yeah, I mean, for you, that's pretty basic. You've got your uh, grocery bill, your rent, internet, maybe cable, and your uh, corn nub account. I mean, there's not very many things in oh, Corn nub. <laughs> I'm just saying. Not very many things, just a handful of things there. But, yeah, that's the plan. So I think I'm going to start that on Friday was what I was hoping. Um, I was going to talk to you maybe after the show we'll talk a little bit about how the CrossFit program is set up what their schedule is when you go you know that sort of thing but um, just figure some sort of like major jump start the other thing that I want to do too with this whole program is I'm a big cyclist yeah uh, and I enjoy running as well but um, the thing that I want to do is kind of jump start my fitness back into getting into that program again as well so spring is coming I'd like to kind of be in shape and ready to go for cycling season uh, as it comes and becomes nice enough to do that. Well, you've always been a bit of a cycler anyway, so and, and multimodal. I mean, running maybe to a lesser extent, but uh, I've always thought you'd done a good job of, of varying the exercise. You're not just on the treadmill or 
just lifting weights, but trying to change it up, whether it's hiking, going on a rigorous, you know, eight mile hike on the weekend or hitting the, hitting the trails or riding the work or whatever. Yeah. I would like to do a lot more of that. Uh, hiking has been something that I've wanted to do a lot more of in the last three years and I end up doing none of it. <laughs> so I definitely like to do a lot more hiking. Um, the running and the, and the cycling are very similar in, in kind of modalities. So I'd, I'd like to get something else to run in there and the CrossFit will help with that. Um, and then I just need to kind of, I don't know, give up my pride or whatever the heck you want to say and get into the weight room and do some actual strength training of some kind once I am done with CrossFit. Well, we've talked about this before and I've, I feel like I'm an amateur every time I step into the gym because I haven't really had a consistent practice. The only thing consistent about it is that's inconsistent really for me. (laughs) And so I started going back in August and had a really good, um, chunk of time there. I had a solid eight to 10 weeks where I was in there four days a week, three to four days a week. And, uh, starting to really build on that and feeling really good. Didn't focus on the nutrition side of it much, but it was about being active. And so that that kind of fell out during the holidays and with the sale of the company and all that stuff. And now it's time to get back in. But, I mean, I spent more time just being on the um, ad- adjustment phase, if you will, uh, getting getting acclimated to it. And the one thing I do like about the – the training that I've gotten from I've been to two gyms now and the one I'm at currently is that I think they both they they allow you to I mean CrossFit's kind of a scary word there's a lot of negativity around it we've talked about some of this before um, but on the positive side you can get a good workout and competing with yourself it really is about just uh, doing what you can do and adjusting the workout to um, it's about finishing finishing and, and, and making sure you can do it not that you're first or trying to compete with everyone else in the room. So yeah, the competition comes as part of the community aspect, right? Like you eventually you do become good enough to where now you're competing against other people that are in the room or even you do have done this to some degree. I've heard you talk about, so it becomes the motivator later, but I think what's cool about it is that you can find motivation day one, just saying, look, my goal today is going to be um, to make it three rounds or my goal today is going to be to, um, you know, do the recommended number of reps, even though I'm not doing it maybe at RX weight. So I'm going to back off the weight, but I want to complete the, the exercise. And so I think when it comes to that, there's a lot of ways that you can kind of game it to still come out of it successfully uh, and, and build motivation, even though, yeah, there's guys in there that are just going to crush it. They're going to go heavy weight and, and, and fast reps. But I don't know. I, I like the idea that I'm there and that uh, it doesn't have to be prescribed, I get a lot out of it, even if it's not 100% what's recommended. One thing I did forget to mention about this whole program, too, is that uh, one of the other things that kind of sp- created this, I guess, thought that I needed to do this or do something was that uh, I'm getting kind of some old man problems here. Like now I have back problems. I've been going to a chiropractor for a little bit for Mm. back problems that I have. So at work now, too, I also have a standing desk. So I'm going to be trying to stand more. And I just need to kind of get, you know, my body back into shape, get the the back uh, stronger and, you know, those types of things. So there's a whole host of issues that I'd like to correct. And this seemed to me to be the best or most efficient and quick way to correct it. So we'll see how it goes. And I guess we can keep updating here on the show as things go along. Yeah, I'd like to hear how it goes for you, and I'm excited for the accountability because by myself it's tough sometimes to do it. 
You know, I like a cold beverage. <laughs> you do like your cold beverages. I had a cold beverage before I got on the show today. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. That's one of the things that I actually <laughs> really enjoyed when I used to run quite a lot. I used to run with a buddy, Andrew Woods, and we just had a meeting point that was out actually kind of at the start of the trail where we would run. Yeah. And we would meet at, you know, a specific time. And there was an accountability factor there because if you don't go, then he's standing out there all by himself waiting for you or, you know. So, like, if you didn't meet at that place, like, you, you, you've kind of broken that routine or that trust that, that, that you were going to show up. So it, I think there is something to be said for having somebody that keeps you accountable for those types of things. It's huge. I mean, that's a huge motivator, just having someone that, uh, you know, I, I'm way more motivated to do something for somebody else than I am for myself. I can make excuses to myself. It's a lot harder to do that for somebody else. So. Right. Sure. Um, even having this this cast being live on Wednesdays is a good example of that. I mean, this is our second time going live, and you're out of town, and you know, there's always something going on after work on Wednesdays for me. And so, to be down here and to make the thing happen, if it was just up to me, I'd probably push it off until next week or something like that. Here I am in Denver. I lugged all my gear here, and then you're at Fuel drinking it up, being like, "Oh, I could fit one more in." I wasn't at Fuel this week. That was last week. <laughs> I may be at fuel later tonight. There is karaoke in a couple hours. Oh boy. <laughs> so you won't be at work tomorrow is what you're telling me. No, man, I ring the bell, dude. That's one thing that, uh, that's, that's an important topic to talk about. Cause I think a lot of tech companies, they're pretty lax these days. Everybody offers kegerators and beers and all kinds of, um, boozy and enjoyments, right? That's part of the culture, the work culture. Sure. And it's certainly part of our culture here at the office. But Drinking is a huge part of our culture. It's a pretty big part of the culture. Like every, A lot of people participate in that. Not everyone, but most people do. Um, we have a Coors Light machine, <laughs> a couple kegs, and just whatever random stuff, right? Um, but I think that, uh, at least for me, and I think for the, the key there is, we call it ring the bell. That's kind of our, our thing at the office here, which means that, you know, what, what you want to do after work and on your own time is fine, but have as much fun as you want, but you got to get back up in the morning and ring the bell. Who came up with that term? Well, that was our, that was our uh, president, our CEO, okay. Scott. That's where I heard I it from. I didn't know where that come from. Yeah, that was always his thing. It was just, hey, um, have a good time. Enjoy yourselves. But... Uh, you know, it's kind of a work hard, play hard mentality. So if you're going to be out going big, then you better be back the next morning ready to go again and get after it. Yeah. And I think that's a good policy. I mean, it, you, you're, you're given the freedom until you, you know, break the, break the rules, break the law. Right. And then they're going to clamp down on you or you'll be gone one or the other. Well, yeah, if you can't balance both sides of it, you're just not going to be a good fit. It's not going to work out. I think that the responsibility comes you have a certain level of responsibility that you have to maintain if you're going to do that. Uh, you, you know, if it starts to, if suffer, if your work suffers because of that, then it's time to reevaluate what you're doing. And um, that just isn't going to work. So yeah, it's, it's not for everybody. I think that some people struggle with that more than others. That's always been my litmus test. If, it, if my work starts to be uh, impacted by that or if there's a day when I can't ring the bell then I think I've got to um, reconsider what I do in my free time yeah I think that's good policy it's good keep, policy keep, 
keeps things safe. Yeah, and 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 they want everybody to have fun, have a good time, but um, we're still a business trying to make money and hit goals and all that kind of thing too. So you gotta you have to uh, keep that in check to a certain degree. Yeah, I got some big news. Holy shit, man! Do I need to like hit the um, little interrupter here? Do I need to like segment this uh, topic or what? Go. Big news. It's been a whopping three weeks since I've had Tesla news. No, it isn't. You talked about Tesla last week. What did I talk about last week? I don't know. Something about Tesla. I think you're going to have to go back and review the tape. Okay. You say it's three weeks. I think it's because well, I didn't talk about it with Bully. Hmm. I was going to. It was in the show notes, but I didn't bring it up. Okay. Um, was there some new software update? What's going There's on? There's a software update, and oh, they brought out two new features. This isn't Very fart exciting. mode or whatever, is it? I heard about that. What mode? It's like fart mode or something. That's No, that's old news, buddy. Oh, okay. Now we have dog mode. Oh, dog mode. I heard about this. Okay. Yeah. Dog mode and sentry mode, or sentry mode. I don't know how you pronounce that word. Sentry, like S-E-N-T-R-Y? That's right. Sentry mode? Sentry. Sentry mode. Yeah, so these are two new modes that they've released in a software update. So number one, the first one is pretty self-explanatory, dog mode. It is for pets that are in the car. And the idea is that you can set the, the um, what would you call it, the temperature, the cabin temperature of the car Yeah. to a specific setting. So let's say in the Midwest where it gets brutally hot in the summer, people get real upset and dogs die because people leave animals in the car while they run into a store or something and it can get brutally hot in your car really quickly. And so the idea behind this is that it will leave the temperature on to whatever uh, temperature you set. And it'll also display that temperature of the interior of the car on this, the main console screen really largely. And it'll, it has some message. I don't remember what it says, but some message that indicates that the, the animal is fine and you'll be right back type of thing. That's also a um, interesting feature that would be helpful for children. I mean, child death. <laughs> oh I mean, goodness. it would, but uh, let's not advocate leaving kids in cars. <laughs> well, no, but it's interesting. It's not I'm not at all, but it, that's become a bigger problem where, like, with cell phones and other things, there was some, some uh, reports on this I just read the last week or two about how more distracted we are. And... Um, there was the law that was passed that said you had to put the child seat in the back seat, right? So you can't put the child seat up front anymore for safety reasons. And when that legislation went into effect, um, the number of kids that were left in vehicles started to go to increase. Not intentionally because people are spacing out or looking at their phone or doing something like that, right? Most often. They yeah. forget that the kid's there. Yeah, it's unintentional because, yeah, you're you're stressed out and you're, uh, I don't know, like you're multitasking and you've got a lot of things going on and so you got to stop at the store and grab something and you grab your purse or you grab your phone out of the cup holder or whatever it is and just it slips your mind that hey I left my child in the back seat so the thing about this thing is though is it's not automatic so in that kind of scenario the the problem still exists you know it's not going to solve that kind of an issue yeah but it's a possibility that maybe they could make some way to detect weight in the seat, right? Because they, they know when there's a body in the seat based on weight. So, I mean, maybe, maybe they could 
give you a warning or something that would make sure you know that the kid's in the back seat or something like that. But well, I know um, that one thing that Ford, I believe Ford and maybe a few of the other auto manufacturers are, are releasing is a feature where, um, similar to what you're talking about, but if I think it's something like if you open the back door um, before you start the car or something, I don't know the exact mechanism, but it will detect, like if you access the back door and then you get out of the car without opening the back door again, that it will like honk a horn or flashlights. That's pretty smart. Yeah, yeah something you know. like that. It's got to be a pretty no-brainer thing to implement for them uh, to give you a warning. Yeah. So the other thing that is interesting about this is that um, even though this is a feature and it's available in all 50 states immediately upon software update, but the issue with it is is that some states do have laws on the books regarding leaving animals in a car anyway. So even if they are perfectly safe, you know, the Tesla is keeping them safe temperature-wise, like some some states don't allow it anyway. So hmm. you need to consult your local laws before implementing the Tesla dog mode. Well, I think it's going to save some uh, puppy lives. I mean, I think that's a good... I, I, underst- I don't know if I agree with that, that states pushing back on that. I, I just think that um, it's going to happen, right? Like whether or not it's a law that you can do that or not, like it's going to happen. And so having the vehicle be able to detect that and do something to keep the car cool, I think that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And they're not, and to be clear, they're not legislating like against Tesla or anything like that. It's just more general laws on the books. Right. Regarding pets and vehicles and that sort of thing. So the other mode, sentry mode that we discussed or mentioned, mm. uh, that's a security function of the car. So the, the model three, for instance, and some of the other ones have quite a handful of cameras. So what this uh, mode allows it to do is the cameras, in while it's in park um, and not being utilized, are recording constantly in this case. So if it detects somebody, like, say, leaning on the car, what it'll do is it'll trip an alert in Tesla software, and it'll record that on all the cameras so that you can retrieve it from your little storage device. Uh, and it'll also send an alert to your phone. And then there's another level to that. So then if a window, say, is getting broken or something like that, then it'll send an alert to your phone immediately. It'll start recording, and it'll turn the volume of the stereo all the way up and start playing music and honking the horn and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to just make it super annoying and and obvious that something's going on. That's good. That's a cool feature. Sentry mode. I like that. Yeah, I think it's a pretty smart way to go. So that's a really cool feature. And again, uh, this is why I love Tesla so much. Like it's a car that we had already bought, already paid for. We've had it for months and it's continually improving, which is crazy. Software updates over the air. You're not doing anything. You just get in your car one day and all of a sudden you've got sentry mode protecting your car. Or you got, uh, emissions mode. We let out more emissions. That's cool. No, it lets out farts. (laughs) Well, that's the, um, yeah, that's right. That's, that's what I was talking about. That's like, um, you know, in states like Colorado and Washington where you have an emissions requirement, uh, you throw it into that mode, emissions mode, and then whenever they, what, they turn the blinker? Like it lets out a little, little <laughs> yeah, fart Yeah, so noise. on that one, it's pretty pretty uh, entertaining. You can set, so first of all, you set which seat is the target. So if, if you know, you're sitting mm. in the passenger rear seat, I can set that seat to be the target. And what that basically means is that it's going to play loud, more loudly on the speakers that are in that corner than anywhere else. Okay. And then you can set how it is you want it to interact. So either it can be random 
It can be on demand via pushing a button, or it can be when you turn on the blinkers. And so every time you hit that trigger, it lets out a, a varying, I think there's probably 20 different fart sounds that it'll use. I would I would be able to add some sound effects, but our, our colleague uh, Connor was supposed to give me a sound bank, and I haven't gotten those sound files yet, so I'm sorry I can't help there. <laughs> there you go. That's what you need is a little a little squeaker. Yeah, a little squeaker. Sound yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got it. I've got a, a couple news items that I wanted to discuss uh, briefly. I don't know if you've been reading the news, but a big announcement out of the, you know, Amazon headquarters recently, HQ2, was uh, canceled. Their plans HQ2 to, is no more. New York City is not getting an Amazon headquarters. Not happening, man. It's done. It's over. Um, a lot of political protests there are a lot of people on the ground that wanted to stop that from happening and so they made the decision uh to cancel the new york deal so um the interesting thing to me a couple things about this is that there was such an effort to find cities and and do all this research and solicit bids from cities to narrow it down right like to know where they were going to go yeah they had like a six or eight month process to select these cities. Right. And they had like a, a list of what, 50 or something. Yeah. They narrowed it down over time, but they had a massive list. They had a lot of, uh, they had put an RFP out there and got a lot of responses back all over the country and, uh, Canada and other parts uh, as well. So it was, it was a fairly extensive search and I was really surprised to hear that after narrowing it down and all the due diligence that went into the process that they just decided, um, because of a few squeaky wheels on the ground, like we're just not going to do it. So what does that mean? Like I haven't read a lot of these articles. So now, now that HQ2 is not going to be in New York, are they going to reassess and come back to some of these other cities that they initially turned down in the, in the RFP process? Um, Cause I've re definitely read articles that Seattle will not be a benefactor from this necessarily. You know, you would think that, okay, well now HQ2 isn't going to happen. So now Seattle's going to get more employees, more buildings, et cetera, et cetera. But I've ever read that's not the case. That's not the case. At least that's not what they're saying publicly. I mean, Seattle, South Lake Union, what well, they have like 44 buildings down, down there right now. Um, Amazon buildings down there. And so, no, like their, their claim is that um, they're just pulling out of the project and they're not going to look at other sites um, per se, but they are going to, move forward with additional hiring that they already had planned for other cities. So you'll see like Virginia, for example, they were going to do something near Arlington, Virginia and other parts of New York. And so I think they're still, their growth plan right now is just uh, without a major hub. They're just going to expand their headcount uh, at existing facilities or, ex you know, grow, uh, expand existing markets that they're already in. Yeah, so instead of a massive new headquarters, um, yeah, just just fill in a whole bunch of different areas and smaller campuses, sounds like. Yep. Yeah, so like San Francisco, Austin, Boston, a lot of these areas are just going to have more. They're going to they're gonna bring on more people. But it, it just begs the question for me, like what the original intent was behind all this, because it just seems like these guys are so methodical. They're so thought out. Like did they really go into this whole process, spend a year uh, soliciting bids from other cities and to make a decision and then just bail on it. I just wonder like what was really going on or what it just seems kind of quick to me that they would just quickly decide to shut it down like that. 
Um, what what were the primary complaints and, and protests and so forth about? Um, is it displacement of, of people? Is it is it uh, more? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, gentrification? Like what are they? What was the complaints? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know all the details about that, but I think it was a lot of the. I mean, they saw what happened in Seattle. There was a lot of folks that here that were speaking out about like, hey, you know, the, this is what happened to us. And look what it did to our housing prices. Look what it did um, to to jobs and and um, yeah, created a lot of jobs. But now we're just like kind of this um, monochromatic tech hub. And it pushed out a lot of the diversity, pushed out a lot of folks that were pursuing arts and doing our things like that. And such an inex- it's such an expensive city now that you really can't live here unless you're making a big six figure Amazon income. Right. Or Microsoft or any of the other big tech companies. Yeah. And so I think that was it was rooted in that. And um, there may have been other things relative to the area there. But um, but I think that was kind of the whole thing. They just didn't want to see that change happen uh, there. But which it's already ridiculous over there anyway. I mean, that's even worse than here. It is interesting, though, that. Like you said, they they were going to make this massive campus in New York City and bring all these employees and have all this floor space and all this office area. And instead, now that they've canceled the project, suddenly they can filter all this stuff elsewhere. Like it's not a problem now to put them elsewhere. So to your point, what was the reasoning behind this whole this whole stunt? Was it a publicity grab? Like, why did they need to do this whole HQ2 hunt it feels like that a little bit to me because it would be naive to think they went into this not expecting a bunch of political backlash or protests or that sort of thing. Like people talked about that even before the bids were uh, turned in, right? Like look what's look what it's done to Seattle. Oh my God! You know, people were talking about that way before uh, that process was complete. So I'm I'm not really sure what it was. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, we should probably move on. What else did you have? Um, the other one was more of a, a news that came out of Lime. Uh, Lime now, they're, you know, Lime bike, Lime scooter. Yeah, for those of you that aren't familiar with Lime, big cities uh, have Lime bikes, which are bike shares. So you can use an app to unlock a bike that's just kind of sitting anywhere. They can be sitting any place. Same thing with the scooters, which there's a ton of those here in Denver. I wish we had them. They're actually really cool. I wish we had them too. I When I was in San Francisco, we had Bird. And those scooters were awesome. They were fun to ride and um, quite controversial because a lot of people are driving those things on sidewalks, running down old ladies and shit like that. So they didn't <laughs> like it. But a small tangent here: when 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 we first got here, you know, you see the scooters immediately. They're on they're on the sidewalks. You know, there's probably anywhere from one to five in a given like block span. You know, if you were just walking straight across a block. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of one of the big complaints that people complain about when Lyme comes into a city or wants to expand into a city. Like Seattle's a prime example. They're just worried that these scooters are going to be everywhere and they're just going to be littering the sidewalks and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Well, like here they're all very well respected, or at least in this, uh, what do they call this, the dairy block. They're all very well respected. They're all on their kickstands. People aren't just throwing them around. You know, there's not that many of them. You know, there's enough, but not that many. Like it's not like it's over overboard like the bikes kind of feel like they're a little overboard sometimes I've, but I, I would it's a good agree. program and I, I, I guess I don't really know where the 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 fear of them being overpopulated comes from haven't seen that problem in Denver 
And I don't know if they just have a cap on how many of those can be parked at one time or like cap to how many you can have in a downtown area. I, I will say this, like in San Francisco, they were everywhere. I mean, they were like more commonplace than like beer bottles in the gutter, you know, like <laughs> Okay. They were all that was over like the place. One of the first cities that did it, adopted them, though, right? Yeah, and at that time too, it was a land grab, and so you had multiple competitors out there at the same time. So everybody had their fucking version of the scooter that was just dumped on every street corner, and uh, you know some of the sidewalks were already fairly narrow down there, especially down in Soma and over by Moscone Center and all of and. So you'd see people like, and you're supposed to ride on the street, but you're not. So a lot of people are riding these things on the sidewalk and don't have great control and are trying not to hit people. And it's just, it was a big mess. Yeah. I liked so, it. I thought it was great, but uh, yeah, it was a problem for some people. Yeah. I think it's a cool program and they're all electric, right? So you don't yes. have to do anything. It's not like you're kicking and pushing yourself along. So they're really cool program. And I think it'd be something great for Seattle, but I think they just have to get over the hump or put some restrictions in place on how many there are or some kind of something like that to get over that fear. But I think it's a great program. You see people driving those even here where it's uh, less than freezing. People are out on scooters. It's, it's great. Well, it's a nice solution for the last mile, right? That last mile problem, you get off the light rail and you just got to go up, especially if where you're at down, down in, um, uh, down in Lodo uh, in Denver there. I mean, you get off the light rail union station and the office is what, maybe like 0.75 miles from there or something like that, half a mile, a mile away. And um, it's not a bad walk, but if you had a scooter right there, you could get your ass over there pretty quick. It'd be nice. Yeah. So sorry, I took us off topic to you from your original thing here. But yeah, what's going on with uh, Lime? Yeah, so Lime has the battery-operated bikes. They have the regular bikes. They have the scooters in certain cities. And now they're launching a car-sharing service in Seattle that are... Um, Kind of like the car to goes of old. The um, you know they had the old smart cars for a long time, and now they're fully Mercedes Benz shop, fancy cars. But Lime uh, has a permit to to send out 500 uh, two door Fiat vehicles. So they kind of they're they're compact cars, the Fiat 500 uh, vehicles, and uh, they're all decorated in fancy Lime decals and all that shit. But there's 500 of them in Seattle now that are open to the public. Anybody that has the Lime app for the bike program can get a Lime uh, Fiat for uh, $1 to unlock. And then I think it's something like 40 cents a minute. So I really appreciate that they went with, with Fiat 500s here because that was one of the things that I really loved about the Car2Go program initially, which I still love them. And I still I, I do love Mercedes and, and being able to pick those up. But the, the smart cars that they used to have were so damn convenient. You could park those things anywhere, whereas, you know, now they're all full-size vehicles, so it's it's much more difficult to come up with parking. So the Fiat 500s will be a welcome addition to be able to get, you know, go downtown and find a parking spot within reason. I agree with that. I, I have to say, though, I really enjoy driving the luxury vehicles. I mean, for 40 cents a minute or 45 cents for those guys, um, it's, a, it's a much better experience. But when you had the smart car, you could park that thing sideways in, in a parking spot downtown. I mean, they're so <laughs> narrow, right? I mean, yeah. Um, it was very convenient. And in places that you couldn't park a regular car, those guys would uh, squeeze in there. So the, this is a niche, I think, that was um, that needed to be filled after Car2Go was replaced with the uh, long-body Mercedes-Benz, you know, like the full-size cars. So now we have three different, three different car share, well, four if you want to include... Uh, What's the one that you use? Uh, it's not Zip the car. same. There, yeah, Zipcar. There you go. So you have Car2Go. 
you have Reach Now, you have uh, Mime, and and Zipcar. Now the interesting piece there, I don't know if many know this, but like Reach Now and Car to Go are both owned by Daimler. So Daimler Chrysler uh, had Car to Go originally, and they acquired Reach Now uh, a few months ago, maybe six months right. ago. That happened fairly recently. Yep, it's a newer thing. So they're they're under one roof, joint venture. But yeah, you've got you've got Reach Now's Car to Go's. So Car to Go is um, BMW, and Reach Now is Mercedes Benz, and uh, Zipcar Other is way just whatever. Did I get that wrong? Reach Car yeah, to Go is them. Mercedes, and Reach Now is BMW. Yep. Yeah. So now you have Fiat in the mix and too. Fiat's in there too. Uh, it was interesting. I, I we used to have one of these Lime vehicles parked kind of over in the park that we walk our dog, and we would walk by it, and I would be like, "Well, that's interesting that it's a it's a car that you know claims that you can rent it, and it's Lime branded and the whole nine yards." But I was like, I, I, "I've never seen an app or something that will allow you to do this." So there must have been a little beta program going on or something that's you know a select few people could go and rent those cars uh, ahead of time because I think I've seen those cars in Seattle for a uh, month or two maybe now. They did. They had a private beta for a while. I don't know. It was pretty tight. I tried to get in on that, and I, I couldn't. So, Whereas like the other guys, when they were coming out, they were more public about that, I feel like. Yeah. Um, I didn't see anything about the Lime program other than those car, a few cars on the street. So you're a Lime member. Have you tried to take one of these yet? I haven't yet. I haven't had a need for that uh, yet. But um, I'm definitely, since I am a member, why not? Uh, in my current housing situation, I've got zip cars in the garage, so I don't know that I would use it much. I like having the—I only use the car now just to go to the store and back. When I was up in the U district, I was um, using more of that one-way transit to get down to the office, but I don't really need to do that anymore that I can walk there. So I might try it just for kicks. I don't have a good reason to use it. Or maybe if I have a late-night Mickey D's run, I can do that. <laughs> That'd be oh, well dicks, right? Or or dicks, absolutely, man. I mean, who has a problem with a greasy bag of dicks at, uh, you know, <laughs> late night? That's the Seattle specialty right there, man. Everybody wants to get a bag of dicks. Well, speaking of bag of dicks, KJ, we're at the top of the hour here, and uh, we're running out of time on the Coffee Codecast, so you want to bring us home or uh, or what? Yeah, well, you know, as always, you can contact us on Twitter at the Coffee Codecast. You can use the hashtag Ask3C if you want to reach out to us. Uh, the website is obviously www.coffeecodecast.com. You can reach us at coffeecodecast at gmail.com if you still are into email. And, of course, uh, get us wherever you find your podcasts, including Spotify. We're on Spotify now. How about that? We're everywhere, man. Awesome, well, happy dude. time in Seattle. Uh, I'll uh, be thinking about you from my cold temperatures here in uh, Denver, and we'll see you probably on uh, Friday. All right. Safe travels, hombre. Cheers.